this morning. Let's open with a word of prayer and let's dig into the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. I thank you for everyone who's here, all that are watching on live stream, uh, those that will watch us on Vimeo or YouTube later or hear it on the radio. And Lord, I just pray that you would minister to every heart. And Lord, I just, my heart has been gripped by the study of this text this morning. Oh Lord, help us to return to our first love. Help us, Lord, to love you more than we ever have. Lord, you loved us so much, you'd rather you sent your son to suffer and die that we might have eternal life. He suffered as if he lived our life so we could be uh, rewarded as if we lived his. And Lord, I pray that we would, uh, our passion for you, our love for you would grow. Be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said. So we know the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what the book of Revelation is about. If you were here in chapter one, we saw the things that are, right? Jesus is in, or things that were, Jesus, we see Jesus in heaven, a picture of him in heaven. I'm looking forward to that, amen? Looking forward to seeing him face to face. And so the outline for the book is in Revelation 1.19, the things that were, the things that are, and the things that shall come afterward. So we're starting now the things that are, and over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at the letter to the seven churches. So chapter one, we see Jesus in heaven. Again, this whole book is about revealing Jesus and understanding and knowing Jesus better. Chapter two and three is the church age. It's addressing the church. That's us. At the end of chapter three, when we get to chapter four, we'll see that John is called up, caught up. It's the word harpazo, where we get the word rapture from. Uh, and, and so there's the rapture of the church. That's the position that, that we take here at Calvary Chapel. And I think it's pretty clear in the Bible. So chapter four, from then on until the church comes back, you don't see the church anymore. And what you see is, is the tribulation period, the God's righteous judgment upon the earth, a time when many will be saved. But it's much better to get saved before the tribulation than wait to do it during the tribulation. Can I get an amen to that? 120-pound hailstones falling from the sky? I could skip that. Amen? And so, as we look at the church age, beginning this morning, there's three ways to look at it. One, he's addressing that church, those individual churches, and he is certainly doing that. And at that time, there were hundreds of churches, but he chooses just seven to speak directly to. Now, seven in the Bible is the number of completeness or completion. Many think that there are these seven uh, churches or pictures of seven different times in the church ages. Uh, okay, that could be true. I just think that all seven churches are a picture of the church in general. So it's not only a letter to the church back then, but it's a letter to the church today. It's a letter to Calvary Chapel, Caneo Valley, and all other churches. But it's also a letter to us as individuals, as people who are in the body of Christ. And so as we're looking at this, yes, he's a, this morning we look at the church in Ephesus. We'll get into that in a moment. And we're going to see all the different churches that he addresses. And what, what he's going to do in this letter, this is Jesus talking directly to John. As he's addressing them, he's, all, he's going to tell them what he, they're doing well. And then he's going to tell them where they're, falling, where they're failing. And you know what? If the Lord showed up in our church today, I, I would hope he would tell us there are things that we are doing well. But there's not a doubt in my mind there are things we could do more of and do better. Can I get an amen to that? And that's true in all of our lives, that yes, we're serving the Lord, but we're going to see this morning that serving Him is not the priority, it's fruit of the priority, because the priority is loving Him. Can I get an amen to that? 
So if we fall in love with Jesus, the good works will follow. Now, seven churches, let me just give you briefly the things that they were doing and God's exhortation to them. So Ephesus, we'll see this morning, is the loveless church. Smyrna, which we'll see next week, is the persecuted church. Pergamus was the compromising church. Thyatira is the corrupt church. Sardis is the dead church. Philadelphia is the faithful church. And then finally, Laodicea is the lukewarm church. So each of these churches were being addressed, but all of those things that we just talked about are things that we see in the church today. And we're going to look at the church in Ephesus. And a church, as we will see, is faithful in a lot of areas. If you stopped halfway through the text today, you'd say, that's an amazing church. I want to go there. I mean, it's pretty awesome. Here's some of the things that they're going to be uh, encouraged by Jesus about. They, they were persevering in the face of great tribulation. They had no tolerance for evil. They tested all teaching against the word of God. They faithfully labored for the truth without wavering or becoming weary. Those sound amazing. Amen? Doesn't sound like a great church? They don't tolerate evil. They uh, stand through persecution. They test everything against the word of God, and they're faithful to serve the Lord and stand for the truth without becoming weary. But as we're going to see, there was something that Jesus had against this church, and it was something that would ruin everything else. See, this passage, when I read through it, there's another passage that immediately comes to mind. By the way, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. Amen? And so 1 Corinthians 13 says this, Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, though I have all faith, so I could, not, so I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing." Guys, if it's done without love, it's of no value whatsoever. And one of the things that the church has become known for, and again, sometimes unfairly, but sometimes accurately, that we are not loving enough. And I want to tell you something, we could be more loving. Amen? And one of the things I do love, and the compliment I get about this church often when people visit, is you guys love each other. And so we are a loving church, but we could be more loving. Amen? And it's easy to love people that are lovable. We've got to love the unlovable, amen? In Matthew 22, Jesus answering the Pharisee who was attempting to test him said, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? What is it? You know, to the Jews, there's over 560 laws, right? All of these laws. Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So as believers, we should love God and love people, Amen? And not because they deserve it, because we don't deserve God's love, yet he gave it to us anyway. So we love God and we love people. And it says, on these two commandments, hang all the law and the prophets. In Matthew 5, 22, when it talks about the fruit of the Holy Spirit, it says, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. And then everything after that describes that love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. It's all a description of that love, that agape, selfless love that we are to have for one another. So if you have your outline, grab it. Oh, I misspelled intimacy on the top of that. That's a mess. That's what, it, no, yeah, well, that's what happens when you do your outlines at eight o'clock in the morning. So after studying all night. So it's a return to intimacy. If you got a pen, put a T in there for Pastor Dave's failure. 
Here are the seven things, or six things we're going to look at in seven verses this morning of returning to, uh, return to intimacy. Look, you're as close to God as you want to be, and we're going to see that. And if you're not as close to God as you used to be, God didn't move, you did. Amen? And there needs to be a return to making Him the priority and the passion of our lives yet again. Number one, here's, and by the way, my, my outlines are always applicational. So observation, what does it say? Interpretation, what does it mean? Application, how do you apply it to your life? I try to make these applicational so you can take them home with you. I can take them home with me and apply it to my life. So number one, the Lord walks in, the, in our midst and desires intimate fellowship with you. Jesus wants to have intimate fellowship with you. He loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you, and he proved it on the cross of Calvary. Amen? And he wants not just to have an arm-length relationship, not that you just know about him, but to know him and to have intimate fellowship with him. Not just our actions that reveal our hearts, but the motivation behind our actions. You know, a lot of people go to church because they just want to cover their bases and make sure if there really is a God that maybe they'll get in, right? People come to church with all different kind of motivations. And if you're here this morning because you feel like it's a have to, I want to encourage you to fall in love with Jesus. And it won't be a have to, it'll be a get to. Amen? I get to come hang out with God's people. By the way, Sunday morning is my favorite part of the week. Amen? We gather together with God's people on the Lord's Day, right? The day that He rose from the dead, Sunday morning. We get to be with God's people. So number one, we'll see in a return to embassy, the Lord walks in our midst, desires intimate fellowship. Number two, good works that should say, boy, I'm really messing up. Good works, not God works. Good works alone do not produce intimacy. So people try to show their love for God sometimes by doing good works, thinking that somehow they'll find more favor. Let me, let me encourage you with something. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more than he already does. Amen. So good works don't produce, again, intimacy. Intimacy produces good works. See, if we're in love with the Lord, we want to serve Him. If we're in love with the Lord, it's a blessing, and it is a get-to, not a have-to. <coughs> Number three there, a lack of intimacy is due to our actions, not His. You're as close to God as you want to be. Is He your first love? They had left their first love. They had left him as the priority and the passion. They're doing everything so well. From the outside, they look like an amazing church. And Jesus rebukes them saying, yeah, you're doing all of this, but you're not in love with me anymore. And that means we can do a lot of good works, but not really be walking with God. And sadly, a lot of people get caught up in that. Number four there, how to return to a place of intimacy with the Lord. So if you're here this morning and you recognize, you know, I'm not as close to God as I used to be, or I'm not as close to God as I should be. By the way, that's probably all of us. Amen? But if we desire to be in intimate fellowship with God, I wrote down here, how do we return to Him? How do we do that? We remember where you once were in your love for the Lord or where you should be. We need to repent, which means to change direction, to change your mind, to change your behavior, and then to return to take action required to make him the one again, the once again, the priority and passion of your life. When you wake up in the morning, what's the priority? What's the first thing on your mind? How much time do you focus on the Lord? You know, for me, I, I wake up before my feet hit the ground and pray, have the same I say, yes, Lord, right? First thing, raise my hand, yes, Lord, and just ask him to fill me with his Holy Spirit, to bring divine appointments into my life, to, to guide and lead and direct everything that I do, and that I would be a tool in the hands of the Master, that he'd fill me afresh with his Holy Spirit, that God would be glorified, and I would not waste today, that today would have an impact on eternity. 
And I pray that daily. And you know what? God brings divine appointments. It's amazing how we make ourselves available. God answers our prayers. Amen? Number five, by giving God and God alone all the glory. He alone is worthy of all our praise, honor, and glory. Amen? We saw this a few weeks ago with this young man on the Buffalo Bills who got injured. And, and then the following Sunday, you saw all the NFL teams gather at midfield and drop to their knees and pray because they were all praying for one man. And you know what? They're praying in the NFL. We ought to be praying at church. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. And praise God that they came to a place where they realized we have no answers. There's nowhere else I can go. No, who else has the words of eternal life, right? Who else can I turn to? Who else is the great physician? We need to give him all the glory and the honor and the praise. And then finally, the rewards for walking in intimate fellowship with God. So I told you what I was going to tell you, and I'll tell you, and I'll tell you what I told you, right? Amen? Repetition's a good thing. We need it. All right, beginning there in verse 1, a return to intimacy intimacy. The, first, the Lord walks in our midst and desires intimate fellowship with you. It says, to the angel of the church of Ephesus write. Now, angel, that word there is messenger. Now, it could be an angel in charge over the church. We know that there's a spiritual battle that takes place all around us, right? We see it throughout scripture. But, tip, but most people believe, and I believe this, I believe he's writing this letter to the pastors of each church. The angel there, the messenger of that church, is the one who's proclaiming the truth. And so this letter is being written to the pastor. Could be, the, could be an angel oversees the church, but more than likely it's the pastor of the church. You know, he referred to John the Baptist as a messenger. And so while written to the angel of the church, it will become that evident that this letter was intended for the whole church. So John is getting a vision of Jesus in heaven, and Jesus is giving him instructions for the church. Now let's talk about Ephesus just for a moment. The historical background, it was a tremendous commercial center. It was a harbor and a port town located on a main train route between uh, Rome, a trade route between Rome and Middle East with all kinds of traffic. Greatest and most influential city in the region of what would today would be modern Turkey. About 200,000 people lived in Ephesus. It was very wealthy, had great political power. Again, uh, it was a a free city where people could come and go. They were part of the Roman Empire, but they were free to enjoy their own culture and governing body. But if you remember, if you were here when we went through Ephesus, they, their greatest uh, accomplishment from the world's perspective was, it was considered one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, was a temple to the goddess Diana. You guys remember that? And they would cry out to their goddess Diana. Well, the apostle Paul went to Ephesus and pastored a church there for three years. Now, Diana was, I'm being direct, was kind of the goddess of sexual, of, of sex and morality. And so when they would go worship Diana, they would literally go in and there'd be temple prostitutes. And so Paul went in, into that city that was filled with debauchery, that was so far away from God, that had a great deal of wealth. Uh, they probably were debating how many sexes there were, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, just debauchery running amok, right? And he goes and plants a church there. And you know what? God uses him mightily. And if you'll remember, by the time he begins preaching the gospel, you know, one of their biggest ways they made money, the silversmiths made these little Diana gods. By the way, if you could buy your god at this flea market, not so much. Can I get an amen to that? 
I was in India one time and I bumped, the Diwali was the high Hindu holiday. They told me not to leave my hotel, so I went out and was witnessing the people during Diwali. But I'm walking along and somebody bumped into this table and all these gods fell off and broke. And, and like 40 of them, they fell off and broke. And I said, if your God can break, <laughs> amen? The only ones that should be broken is us. Can I get an amen to that? So this city, that's Ephesus. And in the midst of Ephesus, again, the silversmiths got upset because in the center of all of that, uh, they had the Olympics there in those days, and, and the, this pagan temple, it was four times the size of the Greek Parthenon, and again, it was 342 feet long, 164 feet wide, supported by 127 60-foot tall pillars con- uh, covered in marble, the goddess of fertility, extremely decadent, vile, wicked place. That's Ephesus. And he's pastoring a church there, had, had pastored a church there. They're pagan, idolatrous, crime-ridden, sexually immoral, bound up in worldly riches, seems beyond hope, sounds like California. Yeah. <laughs> Amen? So God sends the Apostle Paul, he's there from 53 to 55 AD, so this letter is being written some 35 years later. And during his third missionary journey, more, more there than any other city, uh, you know, Priscilla and Aquila, remember them? They were from Ephesus. Right? They were tent makers, and so was Paul. And it doesn't say anywhere in Scripture, but I have an idea they were making some tents together, and Paul talked to them about Jesus. Amen? Apollos was there. So the church was healthy and strong, and it put a dent in the cell of the idols. Timothy later became the pastor there. So Ephesus, pretty good. You know, They had Paul as a pastor and then Timothy. Okay, But they were in a wicked, vile place. And Paul wrote his letter to the Ephesian church in 63 AD. So this letter is about 30 years later. And we see from the outside, the church is doing well. Now, if you guys do remember, they were screaming, great is the goddess Diana. Remember that? And they just kept screaming in the street after he preached the gospel. And the people came in and they were throwing all their false idols. Well, 30 years have passed. The church is there. So Ephesus was Indeed, a city of great wealth and political power, home to one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, a city of great wealth, power, and wickedness. It was also a church that had been well-educated in the truth. See, this is why these people were standing for the truth and not abiding by evil and not listening to false prophets because they knew the truth. And do you know that the calling God has placed upon my life is to make sure that all of you know the truth? Amen? You know, preach the word, love the people. I want to have the best fed, most loved people. So that's why we teach verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book through the whole counsel of God. Because Ephesus was a stronghold of Satan, and it would take a strong person in church to stand and remain faithful in the midst of such a perverse and wicked city. So listen now how Jesus introduces himself to the church in Ephesus. Look at it says right there. These things says he who holds... The seven stars in his right hand who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Now, I've told you this repeatedly, that revelation's not that hard to understand. People who struggle with it don't recognize the fact, first of all, we take it literally unless it can't be literal. And when it's not literal, somewhere in the Bible, it will define for you what it's trying to tell you. So that's the Bible. It's the best commentary on the Bible. So the image is taken from John's vision of Jesus in heaven in Revelation 1. We know that stars that he holds in his hand are the messengers or the passengers, uh, the, uh, excuse me, the um, messengers or the pastors. Now, I, I love that image. It really blessed me as I was studying this week. I've talked through this book before. 
Uh, not all of it, as you guys know, but uh, he was holding the stars in his hands. That means he holds the angels or the messengers or the pastors in his hand. And I'll tell you what, there's a whole lot of uh, accountability that comes with that. Amen? But also, what a great encouragement to know that the Lord holds those who speak the truth in his hand. So he, he, in his introduction, he emphasizes the authority of Jesus in the church. He holds the seven stars. The word holds there is uh, Jesus holds his messengers, right? It's a empathetic or a, comp- or a complete word. Jesus has these churches and holds them together with security. Along with his authority, it emphasizes his immediate presence in the church. He walks amidst the seven golden lampstands. We know those represent the church. So he walks among the churches and he holds the messengers in his hand. So it's God's presence. Like if God's presence isn't here, this is a waste of time. Amen? If we're not teaching the word of God, if we're not spending time in prayer, if we're not worshiping him, let's put horns on the wall and call it the Elks Club. Amen? But that's not what we have here. This is the church. And every time we gather together, we're two or more gathered in his name. There he is in the midst of us. Isn't it good to be in the presence of almighty God with God's people? Amen? And that's a, such a great and awesome thing. Surveying what we are doing at this church here in the sanctuary, in the cafe, in the children's ministry. He knows our hearts and the motivation behind all that we do. He walks in our midst and he desires intimate fellowship with you. Not just our actions reveal our hearts, but the motivation behind the actions. Again, both the reference he holds the seven stars or he walks in the midst of the golden lampstand speaks of the Lord's authority and presence among his people. Intimacy between Christ and his bride. You know, we are the bride of Christ, and He loves us. Again, so much He's willing to die for us. And He loves us enough to encourage us when we're doing right, but to convict us and discipline us when we're outside of His will. Amen? And there are a lot of places that call themselves churches that Jesus is not walking among them because they're, they don't know the Lord, and they should, they should just be shut down. Amen? Somebody a while back wanted to do a wedding, and the place that they were going to do it wouldn't do the wedding um, unless their pastor did it, so we did it somewhere else. And they, were, they wanted money for the thing, and I said, I'm not giving that church 50 cents because that place needs to close because they need Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? We're not going to contribute. They, they, it, it, it was a mess. They were caught up in all the woke stuff. Just, Lord help. Can I get an amen to that? So the church was so busy and so caught up in doing good works that it lost consciousness of the Lord's presence. You know, we can get so busy just doing God's stuff that we forget that we need God. Amen? And what happens is that's what some ministries start to, you know, well, I do what I'm supposed to do. And they're doing, somebody sets up the chairs and somebody does this and someone plays the music. Guys, and we can just do stuff without being desperate for the Lord. And that's what we're going to see here in the church in Ephesus. They're, ba- they're faithful from the outside. They're standing against evil. They're proclaiming the truth, but they're doing it without love and intimate fellowship with God. He wants them to get their eyes, focus, and passions back on him to restore intimate fellowship. Guys, he didn't just want it with the church in Ephesus. He wants to do it with you. Amen? And with me. And with Calvary Chapel, Conejo Valley. So point number one there, the Lord walks in our midst and desires intimate fellowship. Point number two, good works alone do not produce intimacy. Look at verse two. I know your works, your labor, your patience, 
and you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have not, and you have found them liars. Now that's powerful. He begins by telling them what they're doing right. I know your works. Jesus looks at his church and he knows what's going on. It's not a mystery to him. He knows a church that's sincere. He knows a church that's proclaiming the truth. He knows a church that's priority and motivation is love for him and to lead other people to the Lord. He knows churches that are fulfilling the Great Commission, and he knows those who are calling themselves churches who are not walking in faithfulness. There may be sin or corruption hidden in a congregation, but it's never hidden from Jesus. He knows our works this morning. He knows everything about us. Now, Jesus commends the church. Again, I know your works. They were a busy church filled with activity and a service of others. He says, I know your labor. The word labor there is serving to the point of exhaustion. It's like falling into bed. The Bible says of pastors that we are to labor in the word, right? And again, to the, so we're to teach the word, study, to show yourself approved, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. When I speak to other pastors, I say, when was the last time you studied so much you were exhausted? And I want to tell you something, studying the word of God is amazing, it's a blessing, but guys, if you don't study enough that you're exhausted every once in a while, you need to study it more. Can I get an amen to that? You go to the gym till you're exhausted, walk in the beach, you're exhausted, you want Netflix till you're exhausted, can I get an amen to that? But so he was saying, look, your labors, you're, you're working, you're, you're being about it for the kingdom of God. Your works are good. You guys are, are faithful. Did the Lord's work until they fell out. Spurgeon said this, there are also working Christians who do not approach to laboring in the lifetime of such work as they would not exhaust a butterfly. He said the work they do for the Lord wouldn't exhaust a butterfly. We give the Lord 30 seconds every other week, Right? And you know what? We're to labor for him. It says, now when a man works for Christ, he should work with all his might. So the Ephesian church faithfully labored, but didn't only serve when it was convenient, always available, served even when they were exhausted. Then it says there they were patient. The word there is hupomone. We've, heard, we've talked about this before. They didn't quit. They didn't quit. They served faithfully patiently, with steadfast endurance in the midst of a... Remember, God is Diana. Remember, I used to pastor a church in Santa Cruz, as most of you know, Santa Cruz means Holy Cross, but it was a church that where the headquarters of the Church of Satan was there, and it was the Tofu Tai New Age Lesbian Capital of the United States, and the place was a mess, and I wanted to go there because nobody else wanted to be there. Ichabod, the glory had departed, and we watched God do a mighty work because we simply taught the word simply and love people. Amen? And this church was planted originally in Calabasas, and we were like the only church there. And that's why we went there, until they kicked us out during COVID because we wanted to have church. How dare we? But God knows what he's doing. Also, it says, and that you cannot bear evil, bear those who are evil. A serving, self-sacrificing, patient with steadfast endurance church that stood up for holiness and would not tolerate evil in the midst of a perverse and wicked generation and a perverse and wicked city. This, if we stop right here, this is the model church for all of us to follow, amen? Laboring, faithful, standing for the truth, would not abide evil, stood against it, called it out for what it is. Abortion is evil, Amen? It's evil, it's wicked, it's satanic, it's perverse, and it's wrong, and it's sinful, amen? It's murder of the most innocent among us. 
And you have pastors today, I can't talk about that because I might hurt someone. Someone might get offended. I hope you got offended. If you think abortion's okay, can I get an amen to that? And we don't kill babies for the sins of the father, so there are no re- so. And if you, by the way, if you want to have a baby and you don't, you, you don't know what to do with it, and you want to have it adopted, my wife and I'll take it right now. Can I get an amen to that? There's your answer. Let's fix it, amen. And I know there's a bunch of other people in this room that would do the same, amen. Okay. So they wouldn't bear evil, and they were uninfluenced by the ungodly culture that surrounded them. And as believers, we should not be influenced by the culture. We should have an influence on the culture. Amen? Right? We're not to be, we're to be in the world, but not of the world. Right? The, the boat's in the water. We don't need water in the boat. Amen? We're standing for the things of God. So the Ephesian church pursued doctrinal purity. Paul warned the Ephesians in Acts 20. He said, for I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. He said, look, there's going to be false teachers. If you want to see false teachers, just go online. And they're, they're, I'm deconstructing my faith. I'm, I'm going to throw up if I hear that one more time. You're not deconstru- if, you don't, if you're deconstructing it, you never had it. Can I get an amen to that? I'm walking away from the Lord on purpose. And you have people say, well, I'm a pastor. And, you know, and it's tragic. Andy Stanley, Charles Stanley's son, I saw a video this week of him going, well, this is, you know, we act like this is you know, all true. It's not. You know, we act like you know this is one book. It's just a collection of stuff, and it's got historical inaccuracies, and it's got this and this. My head was about to explode. Lord, help, Amen. And so, Lord, help us. So, guys, we need to know the truth so we can recognize the lie when we see it, Amen. When someone else tells us something that's not the truth, and here they are—they're doing all of this. It looks so good right now. From this commendation from Jesus, we know that the Ephesians took Paul's warning seriously, and the church today, like the Ephesian church then, must vigorously test those who claim to be messengers from God. Then he says, especially those who say they're apostles. Now, I see guys online calling themselves apostle. You guys ever see that? By the way, if I get something in the mail that says reverend, I know they don't know me. Amen? We don't do reverend. We revere Jesus. We don't revere men. Can I get an amen to that? Okay? They call themselves apostles. Well, let me tell you something. There's the name of the 12 apostles in heaven, and I know who they are. Because Judas died. He's out. Matthias is the one they cast lots for. We never see him again. We know Paul's the apostle. So it's the 11 plus Paul. Amen? No more apostles. Right? So people were coming into Ephesus saying they were apostles. The Ephesian church said, yeah, not so much. We had one. He was our first pastor, and it ain't you. Can I get out of here? Amen? So there are those claiming to be apostles. I, I used to get calls all the time. The church Santa Cruz got pretty large, and they called me up. Hey, we've got the, the Kansas City prophets. They're coming to town. You want them at your church? No. I like the Jerusalem prophets. They're in this book right here. Can I get an amen to that? Let's just read the Bible. We don't need the prophets are coming to town. We, we got the prophets. Stop it. See, if he's in church was a holy church that did not accommodate sin. And then he says, you have tested those who say they're apostles. They tested all teaching and teachers against the word of God. And those who rejected the word, they called them out as liars and false teachers. 
I see it all the time. I get stuff sent to me all the time. I have people challenge it. And they'll say, well, and this lady said, this, this 20-year-old girl was talking to her on TikTok. She goes, well, maybe if you studied the Bible a little bit, you would understand. And I'm just like, okay. <laughs> we haven't met, have we? That's my favorite book. Amen? We test all the teaching against the Word of God. And no such thing as acceptable compromise when it comes to the Word of God. Amen? There's no room for watered-down or man-centered gospel. Amen. Amen. Amen? We don't change it. We don't water it down. We don't make it more comfortable for ourselves. We teach the Word of God. And again, that's why we need to study it so we won't be drawn away by the lie. The Ephesian church stood up for the truth of God's Word without compromise. The Ephesian elders checked their teaching against God's Word, God's word and called them out as liars. Verse 3. And you have persevered and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. They persevered, they endured. They, they carried, and, and carried and taken up and declared and sustained the truth. They were patient. Again, they were cheerful and steadfast in their endurance. And they had labored for God's namesake. They worked hard. They toiled. They felt fatigue. What was their main motivation? For God's namesake. All done to bring glory and honor to the Lord. This sounds like an amazing church. Amen? They're not standing for the lie. They're calling out evil. They're proclaiming the truth. They're, they're serving God to the point of exhaustion. And all of those things are things we would think, and they are wonderful. And nothing they did was for their own fame or recognition. They did everything they did that God would be glorified. Concerned for his name and reputation and not their own. And notice it says there at the end of verse 3, and they had not become weary. The word weary there is toil and faint and tire and sicken. They remained faithful in service, working unto exhaustion with steadfast endurance, standing for that which was holy and true, all for the glory of God, and did so faithfully for 40 plus years without becoming weary. So for 40 years since Paul is gone, they've been faithfully doing all of this. So the Lord is encouraging them. And he's saying, look, at I know all that you do. And the Lord knows all that you do and all that I do. He knows how much time we spend with him. By the way, when you're serving the Lord, if God calls you, God will sustain you. Amen? If God calls you to do something, he will sustain you. I don't like to bring this up, but I don't do it anymore, but for, for 15 years, I did, not sleep, I did not sleep on a Saturday night for 15 years. Because when my kids were little, my dad was a pastor and he was always busy and he also worked a full-time job just like me. And, and he would miss all my games. And I said, I'm not going to sacrifice my children on the altar of ministry. So I was at every little league game, every program, every play. I mean, if there was one parent in the stands, it was me. Because I wanted to make sure my kids knew they were a priority. And that being their dad was my, my first ministry next to being the husband to my wife. But you know what that meant? That meant Sunday mornings come real regular, amen? And, and, and little leagues all day on Saturday. And then when we, I would put them to bed, I would drive to the church office and study for 13 hours straight, go home, take a shower and get up and teach on Sunday, go to work on Monday. Now, God calls you, God will sustain you, amen? amen. And people always say, I feel sorry for you. You didn't get any sleep. Well, you were napping. I was hanging out with Jesus. So I feel sorry for you. Can I get amen to that? But when God calls you, God will sustain you. It's a get to, not a have to. Amen? I, I just love those days, sitting in my office, hanging out with Jesus. And guys, we need that individual time with him. And they would not grow weary. So by all outward appearance, solid church, worked hard, had great outreach, protected the integrity of the gospel. But as we're about to see, with all the good they had done, they had fallen short in one area. 
And this one area is so important that it may destroy all the others. Again, we saw in 1 Corinthians 13, works without love is just noise. It's clanging cymbals. We're banging things together and making noise. To Jesus, this one thing was more important than all the rest. See, all those things are good, but those things don't lead to intimacy. We need intimacy first with God that then produces those things. The most important thing for you in your life, everybody look at me right now. The most important thing in your life is your intimate fellowship with God. Amen. Amen? Not knowing about him, does Jesus live inside of you? Is he, is he, is he a, you know, does he rule and reign over your life? Is he not just the savior of your life, but Lord of your life? That's what God's called us to. This one area was not corrected. He would remove them as his church and remove himself from their presence. That's how serious it is. He's look, all these things you're doing, if you don't find love, I'm out of here. If you don't have the love of God and intimate fellowship with me, all this work you're doing, I won't be here anymore. I'm leaving. God's work alone does not produce intimacy. The Lord wants more than our outward action. He wants our hearts, our love, and our affection. Point number three there in verse four, a lack of intimacy is due to our actions, not his. Nevertheless, uh-oh. <laughs> oh, here's all these wonderful things. God bless you. Hey, you're doing all this stuff. Nevertheless, one more thing, right? Columbo. Oh, just one more thing, right? <laughs> I have this against you that you have left your first love. I have this against you. Up to this point, Jesus' words, the Ephesians church have been extremely encouraging, but now comes an ominous and sobering turn in his words to the church and to individual and believers. Again, despite, it nevertheless means despite all of that, despite everything I just said, Jesus had taken into account all the good in the Ephesian church, yet despite all that, he had something against them. And nevertheless means all the good the Ephesian church had done did not cancel out what he's about to tell them. I have this against you. You know, I don't want Jesus against me. Amen? God is for us. Who can be against us? Just one thing, but it's a very important thing. You've left your first love, have left their selfless, God-focused, Jesus above and before everyone and everything else love. I'm not calling anybody out by name. I know there's a few people aren't here this morning because there's an NFL football game this morning. Some of you, when NASCAR comes around, I don't see you. Sometimes it surfs up. We go on vacation, it's all good. But guys, we know what the priority is. Amen? If your team winning the Super Bowl gets you more excited than the Word of God, you've lost your first love. Can I get an amen to that? I, I, I got about eight people going to be mad at me. It's okay. <laughs> Notice the distinction between leaving and losing is important. Someone can't be lost on accident, but leaving is a deliberate act. They didn't just lose their love for him. They didn't, oh, where did it go? Right? They left. He said, you left your first love. You abandoned the most important thing, and you stayed really busy, so it looked like you still had that love, but I know better. When those lose something, we don't know where to find it, but when we leave something, we know exactly where it is. They, though they had left their first love, everything looked good on the outside, and you might have attended a service and thought, this is a happening church. They're doing so much. They're guarding the truth. You might have had a uh, a vague, uneasy feeling that something was off. It wasn't hard for Jesus to see the problem, even through everything, even though everything probably looked really good on the outside. So too, he sees past 
our outward facade. You know, you can, prove, you can uh, fool the world with your outward behavior. God knows the truth. Amen? God knows. And here's the good news. He knows you best and loves you most. He knows every wicked, vile thing you've ever done, and he loves you, un, you know, unconditionally. But this, promise, this problem was serious. Without love, all this is in vain. A church has no reason for being a church when the church has no love within her heart or when her love grows cold. If we lose love, we've lost it all. What love did they leave? As Christians, we are to love God and love one another. Did they leave their love for God or love for one another? Probably both. The first one is if we really love God, we're going to love one another. If you don't love people, I have to question your love for God because he loved them so much he created them and then came, sent his son to suffer and die that they might be redeemed. Amen? And if he loves them that much, if he loves us that much, if we don't love people, I have to question where your love for God is. You can't say you love God and don't love his family. You can't uh, love his family without loving him first. You know, when you're courting, think of it this way, this analogy comes to mind. You just can't stop thinking about that other person. My wife and I would go out, and I, I remember when we were dating, we've married 38 years uh, this month, but, we, but we were, I remember going on dates with her, and then I would pull into her parents' park, you know, into the driveway at, you know, when, after we went to a movie and dinner or whatever, and then we'd sit there and talk sometimes till the sun came up. And then I would back out of the driveway, I'd be on my way home, and I'd be missing her already. You know what that is? That's, that's a, a supernatural love, Amen. I, lo- I loved her so much, I couldn't stand it, right? I mean, it's just so, I just loved her so much. I hated being apart from her. Couldn't wait to see her. Loved talking to her on the phone. 38 years later, I still feel the same way. I miss her when she's not around. I hate it when she's not there. And you know what? It's, it's that love. But here's the thing. Here's what can happen. That kind of love, even in, let's just use a marriage as an example, because we're the bride of Christ. You can be married long enough where she's busy about her stuff. You're busy about your stuff. You're running in one direction, he's running in the other direction. And you're so busy doing your stuff that, that uh, you know, when he used to come home from work, or, you know, he, she would run to the door and jump in his arms, and now he comes in the door, don't get any mud in the house, right? <laughs> Pick up the milk I told you to get on the way home, right? <laughs> and what happens is we're just running in the same, you can start running in the same lane, and before you know it, you, you become like glorified roommates, you're just sharing the same house. And you're doing all this stuff, but that love, that first, where'd it go? Where'd that passion go? The same thing can happen as Christians, right? You know, we just love the Lord so much, right? You know, I love, I love new believers. And some people say, well, he's a new believer. He'll tone it down after a while. I hope we never tone it down. I hope we tone it up. Can I get an amen to that? Why are new believers more excited? Well, I've been saved a long time, and you know, yeah, well, I've been married to her for a long time. And it's good, right? <laughs> right? That mentality. And, and he's saying, look, we've lost that love. We need to get that love back. He, you should wake up in the morning saying, thank you, Jesus, that I am your son. Amen? That I'm born again. I'm going to heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? Far more than a have to, it's a get to. You know, in Jewish culture, they had a one-year betrothal period. You were legally married you still lived at home. You were never alone together. No physical contact and a great consuming anticipation of the wedding day. In those days, you, you met and there'd be grandma sitting between the two of you and you're over there. You're over there. 
And during that betrothal period, you got a year to get to know each other with grandma in the middle, right? And there was no contact till the wedding day. How excited would you be for the wedding day? The time goes by and all that engagement and love can fade. And so the motivation, it's not just what we do, but why do we do it? My prayer is, again, if you come to church, you come because you love the Lord. And this is what you want to do. I'm going to go hang out with Jesus this morning. I'm going to hang out with his people. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to get a taste of heaven this morning. Amen? And it's a get to. And it, you know, if you see him dragging in, well, my mom made me come. You know what I mean? I'm Italian. I guess got to go to church, right? Guys, if, you, if that's your attitude, you're missing it. Amen? Fall back in love with Jesus. The word love is an agape love. It's like a consuming engagement love. You know, in Jeremiah, Israel is likened to the bride of Jehovah. And in Ephesians 5, it says, Husbands, love your own wives as Christ loved the church. There are few things more beautiful than a bride on a wedding day. Can I get an amen to that? I've done about 200 weddings. I have the best seat in the house. I'm right here. Groom's right there. And when that door opens up and she walks out and he starts crying, it's good stuff. Can I get him into that? And it's a picture of Christ in the church. And there's such a consuming love. I just, I just, man, I just want to go home and hug my wife when I'm watching this, right? And you see this and, and that's the love that we should have for the Lord. Amen. That we, we look up and we see our groom and we can't believe we get to be a, the bride's bride. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Joy of the Lord. Man, in time, love in a marriage can grow cold and the same can happen to believers if we're not careful. He needs to be the primary passion. And again, we shouldn't be like business partners. We shouldn't be like roommates with God. He should be the priority and the passion of our lives. Again, I didn't marry my wife so I could have someone who would cook and clean and make the beds and drive the kids to practice. I married her because I was head over heels in love with her, and I still am. And not because she was someone I could live with, but she was someone I couldn't live without. Amen? And you know what? I don't love Jesus because he's someone I can live with. He's the one who, without him, I know I can't live at all. Amen? He didn't save us because he needed a labor force or an office manager, or a pastor. While he may choose us to use those roles, the primary reason he saved us is that he might become, we might become his bride. So our number one calling as Christians is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and all our strength. To love God and do what you want, right? I mean, if we love the Lord, we're going to want what he wants, amen? And I tell people, if you fall in love with Jesus, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. When you fall head over heels in love with the Lord, he will direct your path. Amen? And he'll give you wisdom and direction. They need to return to their first love. So too, this morning, you may be doing well. You may be busy in your service to God. You may be standing for truth. But the supreme question is this. Not only are we in love with Jesus, but is he the passion of your life? Is he the... Is he on your mind again when you wake up in the morning, when you go to bed at night? Is he the priority of your life? Do you love to spend time with him to tell others? About, I love to introduce my wife to this day to people. It's just, she always just say, if you, think I'm, if you don't think I'm a good salesman, look at her. There you go. Amen. Because <laughs> I, I way outkick my coverage, right? And to me, my wife is the most beautiful woman on this planet. And she's a gift from God to me. Amen. And I still see her that way. Beauty and the beast, me and my wife. But but I love to introduce her to other people because I love her so much. I love to introduce my kids and my grandkids because I love them so much. But you know what? I love Jesus more. And I love to introduce him to people that need him. Amen? See, if you love the Lord, it's going to just pour out of you. 
to spend time hearing from him through his word, to share his heart with, him, with your heart with him in prayer? Or have you grown so cold that you're glad he's your savior and you have the promise of heaven, but when you wake up, your mind is elsewhere. You rarely spend time with him. When you do, it's motivated by wanting something from him. You rarely tell others about him. Your actions might cause some to doubt you're even, that you even know him. You lost a heart to worship. Your devotional and prayer life has grown cold or non-existent. Coming to the Lord, gathering with his people has become more of a have to than a get to. It may look good to those on the outside, but God sees how truly dry you become on the inside. God would say, as he did to the Ephesian church, it's time for you to fall back head over heels in love with Jesus again. If you've wandered away, it's time to fall in love with him again. Verse five, point number four there, how to return to a place of intimacy. Look what it says. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. He's telling this church to remember what they came from. Remember what their first love. Remember when they gave their lives to the Lord. Remember when Jesus was the priority and the passion. You need to remember again. And he's telling this to the church in Ephesus. Now, here's what's great. We, read, we find out later from writings, many years later, that the Ephesian church had returned to the first, God, the first love of God and were being used mightily by God. And maybe you're here and you've wandered away. Guess what? You can return and God can use you yet again. Amen? He says, I'll remove the lampstand from its place to remove his presence. Again, I don't feel, people say, I don't feel close to God. I'm like, well, okay. Then who moved? Amen? Because God, does God desire to be close with you? What's the answer? Okay, so if we're not close, whose fault is that? mine. Amen? You're as close to God as you want to be. He's the priority and the passion of your life. You get to, not a have to. Jesus warns, unless you return to making me the love and passion of your life, you'll no longer walk in the power of my presence. See, the spirit-filled life only comes when we walk in intimate fellowship with the Lord. Filled with an activity, maybe even ministry, but having little or no impact on eternity. What do you do to find yourself there? Having left your first love, what do you do? Remember. Remember who Jesus is. Remember all that he's done. I still love to hear gospel messages. How about you? I've been saved for 55 years. And I still love when somebody's just preaching the simple gospel message. I will stop cold and listen. You know why? Even though I'm already saved, isn't it good to hear about the fact that you're saved? Can I get amen to that? And when you hear it again and you remember it again, it's a blessing. It's incredible. Thank you, Jesus, that I'm born again. Amen? It's good. And he says, look, you need to, and he says, you need to remember where you, you were once in love with the Lord, like the prodigal son. He's in the pig pen. He left his father behind. He's slopping pig. And he's like, you know what? Dad's house, a lot better. Can I go back? He's willing to be a servant. And isn't it good that you know the only time you see the picture of God the Father running in the Bible is when the Father runs to the prodigal son. And he brings him home and he doesn't make him work as his servant. He puts a ring on his finger and a rope around him and says, my son is home. Amen? And guys, if you walked away from the Lord, he will run into your arms if you will turn and run to him. Can I get an amen to that? The Lord loves you. And he desires that intimate fellowship with you. It's not enough to recognize your need to come back, to love, 
to that love you left behind, you must take an action. And that word repent means to choose, that you're walking in this direction. Repent means a change of mind, a change of heart. I'm walking this direction. I've been walking away from you, Lord. I've been caught up in my career. Do your job as unto the Lord. should be the best worker in the building, but your career doesn't come before Jesus. Amen? But you're walking in that direction and the Lord grips your heart and you turn around and you turn your life back to him and he will embrace you. Amen? We need to remember, we need to repent and return to take the action required to make him once again the passion of your life. How? He says, do the first works. What did you do when you were growing and passionate about the Lord? What place did God's word have in your life? What was your devotional time life and how many messages were you listening to and walking in obedience to his authority? What did your prayer life look like? Did you stop and pray over the needs of others? Were you entering into prayer in anticipation of God speaking to you? What place did fellowship have in your life? Come to church every time the doors are open. Sometimes we get down to Sundays unless our favorite team is playing at 10. Amen? Who were you hanging out with when you were on fire with the Lord? What was your chief influence in your life in comparison to what's influencing you today? What place did service have in your life? How did I spend my time back then? What place did worship have in my life? By the way, if you don't like worship, you're not going to like heaven. Can I get amen to that? (laughs) Worship's amazing. He's worthy to be worshiped. What were my priorities back then? What did I place before my eyes? What did I entertain myself with back then? And what am I entertaining myself with now? Amen? How often were you filled afresh with the Holy Spirit? If you left your first love, you can remember, you can repent, you can return, make the choice to do the first works. You find the supernatural agape love unwavering. Verse six, then verse number, by giving God and God alone the glory, it says, but this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans that I also hate. The Nicolaitans, uh, it means to conquer the people. They were the religious mediators who who placed themselves between man and God. And they were the Gnostics, flesh-driven, saying you could go live an ungodly life because your flesh is evil. Just give your spirit to God. And they taught sinfulness. And he said, look, you you, you have a problem with them, and so do I. Men who take authority and uh, affection that belongs only to God. These men were putting themselves in a position that only belonged to the Lord. They led lives of unrestrained indulgence. And the result was pastors and worship leaders and evangelists who became celebrities, you know, recipients of the praise of men. There's only one celebrity in Christianity, and his name is Jesus Christ. Of Christianity, I met Billy Graham. That's great. Praise the Lord. How you doing with Jesus? Can I get an amen to that? It's great. Billy Graham would be the first one to say, don't look at me, look at him. Amen. All the praise belongs to the Lord. God hates it when men receive the praise. Why? Because he's the one that suffered and died in your place. And don't put our eyes on men. We put our eyes on Jesus. Amen? Last verse. I know we're going over a minute or two. But we love Jesus, so we're not, we don't have a problem with that. Amen? Verse, verse 7. He was an ear. Last point, he says, the rewards of walking in intimate fellowship. Here's the reward. He was an ear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat, with the, eat from the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. You know what? When we give our life to the Lord, when we listen, it says, he who has ears, let him hear. When, we, when we're in love with Jesus, we have the promise of heaven. Amen? We're going to spend eternity with Almighty God. And I've shared this with you a lot lately. I'm so heavenly minded now, more than I've ever been. 
Um, you know, as you guys know, my mom, my brother, and my son all died in the same year. They're all in heaven now, three generations. I'm the, I'm the oldest person in my family. I am the patriarch of my family. Everybody older than me has gone to heaven, including my son and my brother. And so it, it's heartbreaking, right? But you know what it is? It makes me focus on heaven. I think about heaven all day, every day. Because you know what? Heaven's better. And we want to see as many people go as possible. Every believer this side of heaven should be burned for every unbeliever this side of hell. And when we're heavenly minded, you know what? And when we know that heaven's our home, we don't sweat it when gas is seven bucks a gallon. Can I get an amen to that? We don't have to worry about eggs or 10 bucks for 12 eggs now. Right? So that, and you see these things, you're like, you can pan, eggs free in heaven. I don't want to eat in heaven. It's going to be better. Can I, and it's going to be cholesterol free. Don't need a doctor. Can I get an amen to that? Longing for it. Thank you, Jesus. I'm so excited about heaven. Notice it says, him who overcomes, the promise uh, follows is those who overcome. And we have a ministry called overcomers. Perfect, right? The word overcome is to subdue, conquer, overcome, prevail. Again, prevail over what? The coldness of their hearts and their lack of love for, for God. He, he was no longer the priority. Guys, my, my, one of my, my life's verses it's all over my house because my wife knows this is my life's verse. Philippians 1.21, which says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Living is Christ and dying is better. Can I get an amen to that? And it doesn't mean that, that Christ is first on the list. It means he's first, he's fifth, he's 50th, and every number in between. Jesus is the list. Amen? To live is Christ. It's all about him and knowing him and making him known and having intimate fellowship with God. You were created to have a relationship with Jesus. And when you don't walk in that, you're going to be miserable because your flesh will never be satisfied. And there's nothing this world has to offer that Jesus alone can fill. Amen. And we can have peace in the midst of the worst things going on around us. The promise from Jesus to those who overcome is a return to Eden, to you know, walking in the cool of the day with God. We're going to be, can you, can you imagine walking around and, what's up, God? How's it going? <laughs> Amen. Hey, Jesus, having lunch with the Apostle Paul, hanging out with the family that's gone before you. It's going to be the biggest reunion ever when we get to heaven. Amen? Amen. By the way, I hug, if you come here more than once, you get hugged. When you get to heaven, everybody's going to be hugging. Amen? Amen? I'm looking forward to the hugging my son again. Amen? I'm so longing for that. And the promise of heaven is no small promise to a church that was threatened with removal of Jesus' presence. Remove the lampstand. We're going to lose relationship with the Lord. And he's saying, look, if you return to me, paradise in the midst of the garden came to mean the place where God is. Abraham's bosom where God is, that is paradise. There's nothing compared to where God is. Where God is, that's where I want to be. Amen. I want to be in a church where God is honored and glorified, where he is in our midst, where his word's being taught, where people are loving one another, when we're using our gifts for his kingdom and for his glory. The Ephesian church heeded this warning, as I said, the second century, Ignatius praised the love and doctrinal purity of the Ephesians. Not long after this letter was written, the Ephesian church was known for living truth in love. I pray that's true of us. Amen. This is a message to the church 2,000 years ago, but it's a message to the church today. It's a message to our individual church, and it's a message to us. Amen? So the return to intimacy. The Lord wants intimate fellowship with you. He desires intimate fellowship with you. If you don't have intimate fellowship, it's not his fault, it's yours. Amen? 
God, 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 good works alone don't provide intimacy. It's not trying harder that makes us have intimate fellowship. It's intimate fellowship with God that makes us want to serve him. And then it becomes a get to, not a have to. A lack of intimacy is due to our actions, not his. You're close to God as you want to be. How to return? What do we do? Remember that first love. Remember again. Repent. Turn back around and, you know, like the prodigal son, leave the pig slop and run back home and he will greet you. Take action made needed to make uh, him once again the passion and pride of your life. Give God and God alone all the glory. When, when anything good happens in your life, praise God for it. Amen? Amen? Give him all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. And then finally, the rewards for walking in intimate fellowship with him are heaven. All this and heaven too. Amen? And by the way, you're going to be dead a lot longer in your life, right? Amen? When the time here is but a vapor, where you spend eternity, that's what matters. And what have you done with God's son? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. Lord, we are overwhelmed just by your love and your grace and your mercy. You're the guest of honor here. Every time we meet, it's all about you. We love you. We praise you. We thank you, Lord, that you're here in our presence. And Lord, I pray that we would never do anything that would remove your presence from us, that we would be faithful to proclaim the truth, faithful to love and honor you, make you the priority and passion of our lives. If anybody's here today, and I want to just give you an opportunity, maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. The Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. The Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. So if you're here and you've never given your life to the Lord, You've never made him your savior. And you want to make that public confession now. I'm not asking you to join a church. We don't want anything from you. If that's your desire, just raise your hand. I'll pray a prayer with you right now. Make that open profession that I need Jesus and I want to be my savior. Anybody here at all? Don't leave here without him. Okay, secondly, and this is between you and the Lord. Every head's bowed. If you know that you need to make him your first love again, if you've wandered away from him, you're not as close to him as you used to be. And you want to turn and run back into his arms and make him the priority and passion of your life. I want you just to raise your hand so I can pray with you. God bless 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 you. Lord, for all those who raised their hands, Lord, we thank you that we can take a million steps away from you, but it truly is only one step back. Lord, I thank you that as they've made this public profession of, Lord, I want to make you the priority again, the passion again of my life above all else. I pray, Lord, that they would run into your arms, that you give them a hunger for your word, that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit. And Lord, that we know that as they run to you, you will embrace them. And so may you encourage them and strengthen them in their walk with you. Fill us all afresh with your Holy Spirit. Without you, we can do nothing. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We love you. We praise you. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said. Amen. Yes, he